when you have that personal brand, it's it, I mean, it's critical to create that personal brand. Um, it helps to signal to people what you're good at and what you want to invest your time in. And it helps them to know who you are. And so if you have your brand on LinkedIn, it's an excellent way to go out and network, especially at times like this, where you don't get to go to person to person networking events. You can reach out to people online and build your brand that way. Hello to all our listeners. I'm Michaela Petty with TCU's Amplify Women in Sales, an initiative from the TCU Sales Center that extends to you and your story. We are a community dedicated to upskilling, empowering, and helping you reach your fullest potential. Stephanie Boyer is a champion for women in sales. She is one of LinkedIn's top 10 sales voices for 2020. She also founded a virtual competition for sales students using AI. But if you're expecting a regular academic journey, it is far from that. If you would ask me, uh, or if you would tell me two years ago that in two years I would have written a book on social media and I would have created an app that gets people to sell using artificial intelligence, I would have laughed because that wasn't something that I thought I could accomplish in two years. And with the app, I didn't even have an idea about it yet. So life certainly does take unexpected turns. And you know, when I was in college, I started out and I was undecided. Like a lot of students that I see that are coming in to Bryant to interview. And, uh, you know, I started out and I thought, man, you know, I think I want to do pre-med because I had been a firefighter before and I could no longer be a firefighter in college as an athlete. So I signed some paperwork saying I wasn't going to be working. So in order to do that, I thought, wow, this is going to make me feel like I can really help people and give back. But then as I was in my pre-med program guide and I'm thinking, this is so much school. I'm going to have to go to four years of college and then I'm going to have to go into another four-year medical program and then I have to do a residency before I even start working. So I don't think so. I was studying psychology and I also liked looking at criminology as well. So I was really passionate about investigating and understanding people. And it happened that I ended up being really good at throwing the javelin. Uh, I never threw the javelin before I got into college. I didn't have that program in my high school, but I had a coach who had gone to the Olympics and she was just incredible. She inspired me. And so I thought, okay, well, maybe I can go and possibly do the Olympic trials and maybe I could be a javelin coach at a college and I could help people and I can continue to. How many career paths do we have so far? (laughs) I've counted firefighter, pre-med, criminology, psychology, and javelin throwing training for the Olympics. Well, I never went to the Olympic trials. I ended up actually, um, I hurt my back. So I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And um, I did end up going in and I worked for United States Customs. So I was learning a lot about law enforcement, working with a ton of people. Now, this was a long time ago. It was before they became the Department of Homeland Security. <laughs> so, you know, it's been, it, it was quite some time ago. And I hurt my back, so I couldn't actually continue competing. I had to redshirt my senior year. So that means you basically... You basically take this idea of red shirt and you can compete again once you're 
no longer injured anymore. But then I didn't end up doing that. So I was working at U.S. Customs and I looked around and I realized that although it was such an exciting thing to do and you're really in on the action, you know what's happening. It was just, it wasn't a good choice for a family. So I noticed, I looked around and it was like 90 some percent of the people were divorced. And I always knew that I wanted to have a family. And so I was like, okay, I'm not sure that this is right. And I was paranoid all the time that a bad guy was going to get me because when you're working in law enforcement, people don't usually call law enforcement because they're having a great day, you know? And it's the same thing with fire and rescue. People don't usually call you. They don't call 911 when things are great and they just want to talk. So I was studying my last semester of my senior year in college and I finally took a business class with a professor, Dr. Carlins. And he would come in and he would tell these stories. And I was just sitting there listening and loving what I heard. But I also noticed that he was just there a few hours a week and he was getting paid really well and he loved his job and it's a great job for a family. So I thought maybe that could be an avenue. And so I went and I talked to him and I said, you know, how can I do this? He had two graduate assistants. So he would come in, he would talk for about an hour in the class and the graduate assistants would just do all the rest of the work of managing the exams and the cases and all the attendance, everything. And I thought, gosh, he's got it figured out. How do I be that person so I can learn from him? And he said, you know, it just so happens that we will be looking for another grad assistant, but you've got to ace the class and, you know, show, show that you're really doing well. So I thought, oh, this is really great. I can go and get my MBA and then I can get help paying for it by working for him. And I can learn from this amazing man, but I hurt my back and I sat for the GMAT, the graduate placement test again to, to, to get into the school. And the lowest score you could get to get into the program was a 500. And I hurt my back. I couldn't even sit for a test. Oh, so, no. right. Yeah. I could, I just, I couldn't do it. And so I got a 480 and so I, I graduated and I'm panicked because I'm thinking, you know, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with my life? I don't really know. And I thought I had all these avenues. And so I started working and doing some grant writing and trying to figure it out. And it was actually about this time of year. It was, I think it was July 1st. And I was going to visit some of my friends in Orlando. It was about two and a half hours away from where my parents live. And um, I got a call from Dr. Carlins, that same professor. And he said, Hey, Stephanie, how's it going? Are you like ready to work for me? What's going on? Uh, are you still doing this? And I said, I have bad news to tell you that I didn't get into this program. And he said, oh, you know, that's, you know, we, we got to fix that. Can you go take this test? Can you go take this test again and get that 500? And I'm like, I didn't get accepted into the program. Now I had a 4.0 at University of South Florida, but it wasn't enough. I had to have that test requirement to get in. And so he said, all right, just go take the test. I'll talk to the dean, but I think your deadline is July 3rd. So go take the test again, get the score, and I'm sure he's going to let you in given everything you've been able to do. And so I knew right then that was a pivotal moment in my life. I felt like I clearly have two different ways to go. I can go hang out with some of my friends, or I can go turn around and start preparing my body to sit for three hours in an exam. And I did that. I didn't even, I was 10 minutes away to go see my friends. I turned right around 
And I called my mom on the phone. I'm like, please help me find a place that's going to do this testing by July 3rd. She found one place that had one seat available still. And so I got in there and I went home and I just practiced sitting. I practiced sitting for that time and practiced trying to take the, the test. And every single minute of the, that time since I got home, I was studying and I went to go take the test and they give you the score as soon as you're done. And so I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, this is no so pressure. scary. And I got exactly 500. And so it was true. You know, it was really true at that moment when I felt like, this is my chance and I've got to put everything into this opportunity that I have. So, you know, we're given these opportunities and we have to be ready for those opportunities when they come. And uh, so I, I got into the MBA program. I started studying marketing. I loved it. And so I found some marketing professors at uh, USF and applied for the program. That wasn't easy either because the score to get into the PhD program was much higher than the minimum score to get into the MBA program. But I got in and went through and there was another professor named Dr. Artis and he was doing some research on self-directed learning, which really pulls together, you know, how do adults learn the best? How can we train them? How can they be better performers? He wanted to do a meta-analysis, but the meta-analysis had like 600 dissertations you had to review and I think 1,400 articles. And he didn't want to do it himself. So for all our listeners, what is a meta-analysis? So a meta-analysis, like let's say you have, um, let's say you have three different articles that you read, right? And you have like this article tells you that people who drink lots of water lose weight. And this article tells you this other thing. So once you read 10 articles, you start forgetting what all the articles say. So maybe some of the articles are saying, you know, some people who drink water are so much healthier, but some of the articles are saying people that drink water are less healthy. And so by looking at all the data that you have, all the research that you have on this specific thing that you're looking at, this relationship, then you can see what are the differences that make people more successful or less successful when they're, for instance, drinking water. But yeah, and so he wanted, but he needed help because that's a lot of information to analyze. And so I got to, I got to be helpful to him and work on that project. And I started, I got a grant for that research and I started to get branded as a sales researcher and I never looked back. And so here I am today and continuing on this path of this, you know, sales research, but it's impossible to know exactly what you're going to do. And even if you think, you know, you haven't had enough experience yet to know what you really want to do. So I would say don't put so much pressure on thinking you need to have it figured out because it's a journey that's constantly evolving. I love that. It's fascinating that you went from psychology, which is analyzing people, and criminology, understanding the negative aspect of it. And then you had to develop people skills. And there are correlations between sports and women in business. And you ended up here as a sales professor. So would you say that your past in psychology and criminology helped you to understand people better, which in turn helped you understand sales better? Oh, absolutely. You know, I've been selling my whole life. When I was a Girl Scout, I wanted to sell all the cookies so that I could get this stuffed animal, you know, and I wanted to beat my own time when I was an athlete. So there's everything is, is contributing to that, but understanding people, that's essential. And I think another 
Another thing that a lot of people misunderstand is that they think a salesperson is just a role, but in fact, everybody is always selling. It's not just a job that you have. You're selling yourself in a job interview. You're selling your ideas, right? If you're on a team and you're trying to come up with a plan or if you want to go to a certain movie or restaurant with your family, you're using selling skills. I do it all the time to get my kids to eat something that I want them to eat or understand why they're upset. So everybody's selling. Because you are one of the top voices in social selling, what advice would you give to young women developing a career in social media marketing? What tips could you give them to help cultivate their skills? Sure. Well, it really starts with understanding that brand that they have. If they don't have their brand defined, uh, it's going to be a lot harder to understand how to position themselves. But whether you identify a brand, whether you consciously try to create your personal brand or not, you still have one. Because with every single thing that you say and everything you do, you're constantly positioning yourself in the minds of others. So you could just do it haphazardly or you could do it consciously. I think one of the best ways to do it is to really map that out. So to look at what are my values? What's, you know, what's important to me? What are my passions? What can I really get excited about? And then what are my talents? What am I good at? So you can't just go into an area that you're passionate about. You also have to have some kind of skill or ability to get that skill, to build that skill up. So you've got to make sure if you can find the intersection of where your talents or your values or your passion lie, then it won't even seem like you're doing work. And if you have that foundation, it's going to help you to understand how you're going to invest your time, where you're going to invest your time. Um, which projects that you can say no to. So if you know, this is my personal brand, this is where I want to go, this is what I like, then you know you have this project that's not really related, it's not going to move you forward, that you don't have to say yes to that. And I think young women, and I mean, gosh, yeah, I even still have a problem saying no to projects because they can be really exciting. There's so many shiny objects around us that we can get um, distracted by. And some of them are really good opportunities, but some of them aren't. Some of them just really serve other people and they don't end up serving us back. And so having that personal brand helps you to know which projects you want to invest your time into and which ones you don't. Going forward, our listeners are high achievers climbing that corporate ladder. So keeping on this personal branding piece, how important is it to cultivate that personal brand as they grow their career? It really is. When you have that personal brand, it's, it, I mean, it's critical to create that personal brand. Um, it helps to signal to people what you're good at and what you want to invest your time in. And it helps them to know who you are. And so if you have your brand on LinkedIn, it's an excellent way to go out and network, especially at times like this, where you don't get to go to person-to-person networking events. You can reach out to people online and build your brand that way. You can find people to get advice from that way. You can also look on LinkedIn and see what are some of the positions that you'd like to have and what are some of the skills and experiences those people have in those positions 
that you don't have. And you can start to design your own learning plan to acquire those skills and just make the connections. Even if you're working in a company and you haven't met somebody, you can connect with that person on LinkedIn. You know, I wouldn't just click connect, but put a personal message of value of why you want to connect and, you know, why that would be valuable for them in their relationship as well. That is actually how we connected via LinkedIn was an introduction from a mutual connection. And then, hello, I'm with Dr. Hall. Can I meet you? You are amazing. Was basically the whole gist of that conversation. What are some LinkedIn tips for our listeners? You are a top 10 voice after all. How do you continue your personal brand on LinkedIn and gain a following? Mm, that's a good question. I, you know, I think the first thing that you need to do is find that foundation, right? Figure out what that is that is the intersection of your talent, your value, and your passion. And that way, you know what you want to say. Then you also want to make sure you know who you want to say it to. I can't tell you how many times I get messages and you know messages in my feed from people and it's not what I want to see because they're just reaching out to the wrong person. I shouldn't be seeing their messages. And then if they're saying the wrong things to the maybe the right things but it's to the wrong people, then it starts to damage your reputation. So you have to know and identify who are you trying to reach. So if you're a young woman and you're in your first job, Perhaps you want to reach out to other people in that same position that you're in, um, potential people that could hire you in the future, other mentors. Those would be people that you could potentially position your messages to. If you're a salesperson, then you obviously want to have people that are in your customer base in that receiving set of your message. And you have to know what kind of value you have to offer. There are too many people that are out there that are just pushing their brand or pushing their products, but they're not really adding value or they're not communicating the value that they can add in their messaging. And um, I'd say engagement is another key point that you've got to actually engage. You can't just um, come in and post a message and then leave it, right? If someone walked into the room and said hello to you and you ignored them, then you'd stop saying hello to that person and you'd say, this person's a jerk. You know, they're not saying hi back. And so a lot of people look at social media and think it's a one-way street, but it's not. It's a two-way street because communication goes both ways. So if someone is going to take the time and tell you, congratulations on this thing that you did, or I love this new product that you have, or whatever it is, you've got to take the time to, to write back. Now, LinkedIn is not about creating as many um, followers as possible. And social media is really moving away from that. So previously, you would say like, oh, how many followers do you have? But that isn't really very meaningful anymore. It could actually hurt you because if you have a lot of followers that aren't active, that don't engage with what you're saying, it reduces your engagement rate. So you want to make sure that whatever you're posting is getting a lot of engagement from the people that are your friends or that are following you. And as they're engaging with your posts, then you want to engage right back with them. And you know, it's not just about um, sharing your own content. It's about helping other people get visibility with theirs too 
And LinkedIn is really about building your network with meaningful connections. It's not just, oh, you know, now I have a thousand followers or 2,000 or 40,000. It's how meaningful are those people that you're actually connected to? And could you reach out to somebody in your network and say, hey, I noticed that you're connected with this person from this company. I'd love to get an opportunity to work there. Would you mind connecting me? If you can't do that with most of the people in your network, then your network is not as meaningful. So you want to create authentic relationships, uh, meaningful connections that can help you and you can also help them as well. Switching gears here. I read a quote earlier today on LinkedIn, by the way. It was talking about EQ, IQ, but it also mentioned the importance of having a so-called adaptability intelligence. What is an adaptability mindset? How would you describe that to our listeners? Right. I mean, so right now it's very important to be able to adapt to whatever the situation is that you're in. We, I mean, just think about for a college student coming back in the fall and going into the classroom and, you know, you might have to go in on some days in person, some days you're learning from home, some days you forget your mask and you're scrambling to borrow one, hopefully not, or find one somewhere. And you're just in such a panic and maybe your professor ends up getting COVID-19. And so you're now going to be online for a little while or you know, someone near you was exposed. Now you're quarantined. I mean, there are so many situations where you're just going to have to be ready to adapt to any situation. And, and that's really what adaptability is. It's just being ready for whatever comes into your life and not having a bad attitude about it. I think that's one of the keys. Just if you're, if you're ready for anything, uh, you're almost like mentally pliable. I like that term, mentally pliable. Just like like think about your your muscles have to be stretched out, and so you want to make sure that your your brain muscles are stretched out too. So, um, one of the things I think about is when we have a situation that could be negative. Maybe it's an obstacle. Often, a natural tendency is just to say. Oh, why did this happen? This always has to happen. Or, you know, your car isn't working or something is going on. It's, you know, the weather's terrible outside and you're like, oh, it's always like this when I'm driving to work or, right. And so you don't want to have that. Instead, you want to have a different type of mindset where you use a tenant of improv and use yes and, right? And you're like, yes. And so you're accepting what the situation is instead of just being grumpy about it. And you're moving on from there. And I like to try to take whatever these obstacles are that are coming my way and say, okay, this is the situation. How can I make the most of this? How can I make this actually a positive thing instead of something really negative? So turn that obstacle that you get Instead of the reason that you fail, because usually when we have an obstacle and so we say like, gosh, you know, uh, you know, we're working from home and so it's really hard and I can't reach out to customers and I have a really good reason why maybe I didn't hit my sales quotas. We can use that and we can be the victim or we can turn that obstacle that we have into a reason to be successful. So you're like, okay, I'm working from home. How can I 
make this work for me? You know, what's better about working from home? So if I'm a salesperson, I say, gosh, I don't have as many filters and screens. So usually a decision maker is surrounded by people that are trying to prevent information and people from getting to that person. But now you can just reach out to them on LinkedIn and people are on Zoom calls all day. So it's easy to get in touch with them. You're getting contacts that you probably would have never gotten before. That's great. I think of it as mental yoga, this idea of adaptability. Exactly. exactly. And you know what? We've done some research and we found that um, it actually improves the level of confidence in women just by teaching them that adaptability mindset, right? That they can do it, that they ha- you have to believe in yourself and stop having those self-defeating thoughts. When we get nervous or there's an obstacle, we start to fill our mind with these things like, oh, how am I going to do this? This is so scary or this is hard or what if I fail? And we fill up our brain so much with these terrible thoughts that we don't have room in our brain to actually think and work through the problem. So we've got to say, I accept that this is happening and how am I going to add to that? And so just that positive outlook can make such a big difference. The outcome is the same, right? You're still going to have to do this thing. You're still going to have to work from home. The outcome is the same, but how we approach it with our mindset makes such a big difference on the outcomes. I heard a statistic where women would only apply to jobs if they fit 100% of the criteria and men would apply to jobs if they maybe fit 50% of the criteria. So does this adaptability mindset help women to develop the confidence to apply for the job they may not be perfectly qualified for? That's exactly right. It it sure does. Because when you're doing improv and adaptability, you have to go with what you know, and you don't always have all the facts. And that's how life is. You just don't have the facts. Um, And so when you just go and you try your best with what you know, you'll be surprised that you can actually do a lot more than what you think you can do. Switching over to mentors, who has inspired you in your life? That's a good question. Um, You know, typically I would think about maybe Dr. Carlin's who gave me that pivotal moment or other mentors I've had along the way. But I think when you really come down to it, I'd have to say it's my parents. My parents gave me the confidence and ability to go after my wildest dreams. And even when I was a firefighter, they would bite their tongue because that was the worst thing ever. Their baby girl is this firefighter going into a burning building. Uh, they, They did not like that, but they let me do that. You know, they allowed me to and they supported me. My parents would pick me up from practice when I was an athlete and they would, uh, my dad would throw a ball with me and coach me from the sidelines so much so that I remember in college, uh, my coach asked me to have him go somewhere else because he had no idea how to coach javelin. She was the Olympic athlete and she's like, have him go away. He's yelling at you, coaching you. He has no idea what he's talking about. Like have him <laughs> do that. But, you know, he would say, follow through, follow through. And you just, he wanted so desperately to coach me. And it was just such an incredible thing that I, I didn't even know at the time, but they would just come to the events. They would come to the competitions. I remember one time um, my mom actually came to a structure fire 
because when you're a firefighter, you have a radio and you also have a radio at your home and it gives you a certain signal whenever it's your station and it tells you the address and what's happened. And they showed up at a structure fire and my mom has a camera and she's trying to take pictures and she follows us back to the fire station and she's taking pictures as we're like taking the gear off, you know, but they were just so supportive, even though they hated the idea that I was going to do that. They were trying to capture that and show support. And I mean, even as an adult, having kids, they come and they, they help. They've helped me so that I could travel to competitions for work. And, you know, the, the support continues. My mom still asked me to send, me, uh, send her my papers before I submit them to journals, even though that was never her job. And she never studied that. You know, she wants to be able to help and make a contribution. It's just so sweet. And I think that is really the inspiration and providing that ability to do what I've been able to do. You started a competition for your sales students called Rainmakers. Can you tell us what all is involved in that? I know you've incorporated AI into the platform. A lot is involved. Uh, We started doing sales competitions. I started working at Bryant in um, 2009 and I was pregnant when I showed up to to work and I ended up getting pregnant on my honeymoon of course starting my first major job as a professor pregnant and just really hit the ground running from there I I taught a normal sales class in the fall and then I realized that students love and thrive on competition and if we can get them to compete in a sales competition practicing their selling skills then that would get them to do more role plays. And if the students are doing more role plays, then they're going to be better prepared for their jobs when they start in the fall, in the spring, in the summer, whenever that is. Um, So we started a competition in the class. I started getting calls from faculty and students from other colleges saying, hey, I heard that you have this competition and students are getting jobs. Can we join you? And that's when in 2012, we decided to open up. We have the Northeast Intercollegiate Sales Competition where people come in, but it was becoming so crowded and we only had so much space and so much time that the faculty would show up and the students would show up. We only had five people from each school that we could allow compete because we only had so much space. We could have up to like 140 people maybe compete, but there was more interest than that. And I think the last competition, we, I think we had 28 schools that participated coming from all over the country and even in Canada. And so there's this huge interest and need to get your students competing because it helps them to perform better and they're getting jobs. So a um, person reached out to me named Scott Randall from Brand Games, and uh, he had created all these really successful business simulations in the past. And Um, He started in the 90s. He has a business simulation that's in the Smithsonian. And I thought, wow, you know, this could be an opportunity. He said, do you want to do a sales competition that's online? We can use AI. Students can compete on their phone. They can learn and train. And that's exactly what we did. So we started to develop an application that students can download. They learn about sales. They train selling skills. They actually do role plays with an artificially intelligent customer bot. It listens, it adapts, and it responds to them. And then it also scores them. And so this way, if I have my students doing role plays, it's hard to watch all their role plays and give feedback every single week. 
But with this app, the students can go on and do as many role plays as they want, and it gives them immediate feedback because it's using artificial intelligence to do that. And so now you can have five students from your school compete, or you could have a thousand students from your school compete. It doesn't really matter. And the the next thing that we wanted to do was we wanted to make it bias-free because sometimes in a competition, the judge gets tired or distracted, and so does the buyer. It's hard to do role play after role play. So we thought, wow, you know, we can have this worldwide competition. Everyone comes in. The buyer doesn't get fatigued because it's AI. The judge doesn't get fatigued because it's AI. And we have this great group of members from the Faculty Alliance. We have over 50 faculty that weigh in and tell us how to improve it and how to design it how they want to design it. And so we just keep, you know, adding to it and making it better and better each semester. So it's free. So we're reducing the socioeconomic gap, right, between the people and the universities that can afford it and those that can't. So now we're trying to lift everybody up and also base it just on performance. So there's none of that bias or even unconscious bias um, that we all have going into evaluating the role play. It's just strictly based on their performance in the sales process. How great. So everyone has an equal beginning to compete in an environment that is healthy and conducive. What a great message, especially in today's world. Wrapping this up, first of all, your career has taken so many twists and turns. It has been fascinating to listen to. But if you could go back and give young Stephanie one piece of advice when you were in the early days of your career, what would you say? That's a great question. Just starting out, I'd say believe in yourself. Always make sure that you have that confidence to believe in yourself. You know, don't second guess yourself. Don't feel like, uh, don't have those self-defeating thoughts of like, I don't know if I can do this or am I good enough or am I interesting enough or am I smart enough to just go after what it is and believe in yourself. What great advice. Careers do not have to take an A to B track nor do you have to be perfect. Stephanie's journey took her many places and it all added up to her perfect career. Let your journey be unique. Go along with the ride and perhaps you'll find your dream job along the way that maximizes your talents. Do some mental yoga and be ready for the next step to find you. like what you hear? We want to hear from you. Please hit subscribe and follow our page on LinkedIn and Instagram. Links are in the bio. This is a community of many voices uplifting and inspiring. I'm Michaela Petty and join us as we amplify. Amplify.